it's Brandi Taylor. Welcome to the Business Beauty Network Podcast, where business meets beauty. It's not just lipstick, it's business. We will share thought-provoking conversations with business and beauty professionals. Our goal is to empower, motivate, and inspire you to take your business to the next level. Beauty pros, get ready to secure the bag, grow your business, start your own cosmetic line or hair care line, attract celebrity clients, and so much more. We're calling all hairstylists, makeup artists, estheticians, lash techs, nail techs, everyone in the beauty industry. The Business Beauty Network Virtual Summit will take place October 25th through the 27th. You don't want to miss this if you're in the beauty industry. As an industry, we want to maintain and grow our businesses beyond our craft. We have so many awesome workshops in store for you, live tutorials and raffles, prizes, awesome VIP, and so much more. This is a three-day event. You can get the tickets at eventbrite.com. All of the information will be in the show notes. We hope to see you there. Hey, welcome to the podcast. I am super excited to share today's episode with you. I had the pleasure in interviewing Wilma Mae Basta, the founder of Dark Beauty, and Danielle Jackson, the co-founder of Dark Beauty. And Dark Beauty is an online platform that is dedicated to supporting women of color and their diversity through community-centric initiatives while repositioning how brands market to women of color through a unique partnership that benefits that community. In May of this year, Dark Beauty Healing partnered with Cynthia Arrivo to give away 10,000 hours of free therapy to women who were impacted by COVID-19 and have since become one of the leading free therapy resources in the U.S. with over 2,000 hours donated by licensed therapists, covering 52% of the country and over 100 therapists. Wilma Bay Basta is the founder of Dark Beauty, and she's a Philly native and a mother of two, and she resided in the UK for 27 years, where she built a career in entertainment, consumer tech, and PR for over a decade. She later founded the vintage fashion studio, The Gathering Goddess, where she dressed high-profile women on and off the red carpet. After developing the concept for Dark Beauty, she relocated to America in 2017 to build and launch it and is now based in New York. Danielle Jackson is the co-founder of Dark Beauty, and she's also the director of production for a leading footwear brand and has worked as a marketer-producer for brands such as Women's Wear Daily and the Tina Knowles Productions. I think you're really going to enjoy this interview. We had an awesome conversation just learning more about Dark Beauty and the initiative that uh, they have with Dark Beauty, and now they're really trying to raise funds for therapy for women of color. And they're offering free therapy. So if you need therapy, there is definitely some information in the show notes so that you can get the therapy that you need. Also, they are raising funds so that they can provide therapy for more women of color. And if you're interested in donating to the cause, you can definitely see the links in the bio and they have an event coming up as well. And I'll leave all that information as well. But I think you're really going to enjoy this awesome interview. And here it goes. Hey, welcome to the podcast. It's your host, Brandy Taylor, and I have two awesome guests today. I have Wilma Basta and Danielle Jackson. So welcome, ladies. Hi, Barry. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you for being here. So I like to start, before we get into all the awesome things that you're doing, I like to start off with a fun fact. So tell us something about yourself that most people would not know. 
And so we'll just start with Wilma. <laughs> um, well, um, something that people, most people don't know is that I took up knitting again a couple of months ago. And I learned how to knit when I was 15 years old. Uh, I lived in France for a year as an exchange student back in the 80s. And uh, the family I lived with, uh, the mother knit, and she taught me how to knit. And then when I came back, um, I just didn't do it again. And then I thought during quarantine, um, I would try it again. And I love it. And it, it just came back. It was like riding a bike. And I'm halfway through my first scarf in about almost 30 years, or more than 30 years, actually. So. Awesome, awesome. That's I a cool know hobby. That. I always wanted to learn how to do something like that, like crochet or knit or, you know, something like that. But I never got in. Oh, that's nice. I love it. Awesome. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, the uh, we're, you know, the fall and the winter is coming. So we're going to need some awesome flakings and things of that nature. But yeah, that's really cool. Wilma. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. What about you, Dario? Um... I would, nothing as new as knitting, but I would say I am a plant mom. I think, I don't think it's intrinsic to, if you met me, you would, I mean, you can see from us talking, but um, I have at this point 14 plants um, in varying stages. Yeah, some really large ones um, and some that I have propagated and um, broken off and made into their own little thing. So um, that's new to me I, over the last, I would say, year and a half, two years. And it's, it's, it's a hobby, but an obsession, because once you have one, you want another, then, you know, you start looking at other plant moms, and then you start talking to each other, and you have a little plant community. So that is my new obsession, hobby, and love. Awesome. So, Wilma, tell us a little bit about, you know, your story. You know, um, tell us about yourself and your story and your background. So uh, I am originally from uh, just outside Philadelphia. Uh, I was born in Chester, Pennsylvania, but I grew up in um, partly in Devon, Pennsylvania and Villanova, uh, where I was probably, there weren't, you know, too many people of color, uh, where I grew up in the 70s and 80s. And uh, I, I went to school out there. And I think the thing that for me was really tricky was that I somehow found myself in between two worlds, uh, the black world and the white world. And I never seemed to feel like I fit into either. Until my high school years, I went, and like I said before, I, I was accepted to study abroad in France uh, for a year as an exchange program. And I went to live with a family whose daughter came to live with my family for a year. She was so excited about coming to live with a black family. And um, she's still my sister today. And we actually talk regularly. She was my maid of honor. Um, and I went to live with her family and they were both French teachers. They were both teachers, one, but language teachers. So they spoke, um, they spoke French. They were both French, but they taught German and Italian. They didn't speak English. And so I got just dumped into this small village in the sort of Southeast part of France and I had to sink or swim. And it changed my life because um, I was for the first time, I didn't have to identify myself with being either black or white. I could just be Wilma. And no one really cared about that. And I wasn't excluded. And uh, I, 
it, I took to it like a fish to water and living in Europe became something for me that um, felt like I had more possibility. I had more opportunity. And so when I came back to America to do my senior year in high school, um, I, it finally, I finally had the words to kind of uh, articulate how I was feeling, what I was feeling. And I realized that I just didn't fit in and it didn't, and I, I preferred European life to uh, American life, the life that I saw at that time. So I, I ended up going to NYU and New York was different, right? It's, you know, and especially in the uh, 80s when I lived in, in New York for about four years. Uh, so that kind of like was okay for a period of time, but New York in the 80s was also really, really tough and dangerous and, <laughs> and scary. And so I got the opportunity to study in England uh, the last semester. I, I, at that time, I wanted to become an entertainment lawyer. So I had the opportunity to study uh, English common law in London for three months. And I took that chance and I went and I never came back. <laughs> I, I ended up meeting my first husband, fell in love, got married, had two kids, ended up in entertainment PR, not entertainment law. And um, I built a life there for um, almost 30 years. And I, um, I did PR for well over a decade. Uh, entertainment, consumer, consumer tech, um, celebrity PR. And then uh, I did a, a, a full pivot into vintage fashion. And I uh, left that business. It was, it was very wearing. Um, and I really fell in love with, with vintage fashion and I became a dealer. Uh, did that again for like almost uh, 13 years. And then the idea for Dark Beauty came along and I realized that I needed to build that business back here in America, not in the UK. So I moved back here about um, almost three years ago, back to New York. Awesome. So thanks for sharing that. So it's interesting. So you, you've had an interesting ride. Um, you've been overseas quite a bit in your college years. You lived there for 30 year plus years. And now um, you have shifted to moving back here to New York and in America. And how, what has that been like, you know, starting your starting Dark Beauty and, you know, moving back here? Um, <laughs> um, well, first of all, everybody thought I was crazy because I said I was never moving back to America. I felt like I had more, and I did, I had more opportunities in Europe as a black woman than I knew I would have had here in America with the way that I thought that was going to, you know, that working the way that I do. Um, but, you know, things change. And so I, I felt like there wasn't, the opportunity that was there in the early 90s certainly is, wasn't there as, as, you know, the last sort of 10, 15 years. And coming back here, I wasn't sure what it was going to be like, but I felt like there, you know, I felt like in the last 10 years, there's been this sort of whole, you know, this movement around Black women supporting each other. Uh, there's been the whole movement to identify and be okay with, you know, finding what you feel comfortable with in your blackness, right? And a lot of these millennial women are writing about this. And in fact, that was inspiring for me because I was like, well, I don't fit into what this sort of, I, we laugh all the time in the company because I don't know who 
a lot of the celebrities are. I don't have the same musical taste as a lot of other folks. And so I'm a little bit, I, we all laugh about it, which is fine. But before I felt like, am I black enough, right? So coming back to America, there was a little bit of trepidation because I was like, well, I kind of like Steely Dan and, and the police and David Bowie and, you know, and I, and I wasn't sure. It's like, is that, what does that look like? Cause I used to get teased for that by other black women before. So I was, so when I first came back, I was, I was nervous. And then what I realized was that actually more than what it was back in the day, black women seem to be holding space for other black women and their diversity that, you know, the, and, and their diversity of passions and interests and all of these things. And that was really encouraging. And it was, I felt like I could breathe. So coming back into that environment, I felt like I could breathe. Whereas 30 years ago, going to the UK, I felt like I could breathe then. And mm -hmm. so it's been, it's been, it's been a real honor, if I'm, if I'm really honest, to be able to meet and connect and work with the women that I've been working with and being allowed to still be my full self as a black woman and still be celebratory and supportive to other black women in who they want to be as self-actualized human beings. Um, and I'm, I have to say that, you know, for the most part, being back here has been amazing. Um, and, and challenging because of the way that this country is, you know, looking at it from the outside for so long and you see all these things that go on and you, and I was really nervous about coming back into this, you know, how was I going to manage and cope with that from a mental health perspective, right? And this is before we had lockdown and before we had George Floyd's murder, right? It was this, this, society where gun shootings happen every day, where, you know, crime is rapping, where racism is blatant. And, you know, it was, it was, I was, it was daunting coming back here, but I'm, I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad that uh, Danielle and I are building Dark Beauty to, uh, to be part of this charge forward to change things. So yeah, that's, it's, it's, uh, I'm, I'm glad I came back. Yeah, I'm glad too, because you're doing some awesome things, and we're going to dive into that in a moment. So, Danielle, tell us, like, how did you and Wilma connect, and tell us a little bit about your story as well. Sure. Um, so, my story, a little bit different from Wilma's, but um, I went to school in, I went to undergrad in Boston. Um, one, We have a few little overlapping moments in life, I guess I would say. Um, I lived in London for six months during, um, my school has an internship program, so that's one moment. Um, I wanted to do entertainment law, that's another moment. Um, similar to Wilma, that's not where I ended up. Um, I ended up in um, fashion marketing, um, and so I've worked for a number of, uh, well-renowned organizations like Women's Wear Daily, which I'm sure you're familiar with, with Beauty Inc. Um, um, I worked for uh, the Knowles family, Tina Knowles, Beyonce Knowles, when they had um, House of Darion. I worked for Rachel Roy. Um, 
and so on and so forth. And so within, with, at those various companies, I did a lot of work with regards to marketing, as I mentioned. Um, and I guess within the last five to six years of my career, that knowledge of marketing kind of pivoted into um, a producer role, which is not something you often find for uh, people of color slash a black woman to lead content and, and produce that piece of the puzzle. So very honored in that position. Um, the way that Wilma and I met is um, my supervisor, my boss at Women's Wear Daily. Um, we continued, she's an ally. We continued to, this is more than 10 years ago at this point, but we have kept up over the years. Um, uh, ebbing and flowing a bit but always like she's always top of mind we always connect over the holidays so on and so forth and so she actually randomly texted me and was just like hey you know are you still in the world of marketing and you know are, is that where your interests really lie and I'm like yeah she's like well I have the best position for you and I was like uh, wasn't, I didn't know I was actually looking for a job, but um, sure, <laughs> you know, she's very direct. I love her for it. She goes, no, 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 this is going to be perfect for you. And I'm like, okay. She's like, I'm going to get the uh, description and send it over. So um, what happened is her name is Brie and Brie and Wilma worked in the same co co-working space in New York City. Um, and Wilma can tell her side, but on my side, it was very just like, this is what you need to do. This is perfect for you. Go for it. And I'm like, okay. So what, what Brie pitched to me was a role as Wilma was building out dark beauty. And so I went in for what was to be a 30 minute to an hour interview. And I was there. We were, we spoke for four hours (laughs) and you know, the, the, we were so connected in so many ways that I don't even think we got into a whole conversation as to like, well, the role is this. We just like hit the ground running. We saw um, what we could do. My work within philanthropy has always been peer to peer. And at that point, um, within the last year, year and a half, I've tried, I've tried to find ways to elevate out of that um, to a more, um, to a higher role in which I can touch more versus just like the one-off person for a summer or a year. Um, And so I did make mention to that with Wilma during that conversation. And to me, I saw dark beauty as kind of that, that was my step, that was my path, right? I feel like with what we're doing with dark beauty, and like you said, we're gonna get into it, but with regards to helping a larger community who does need the help, the opportunities, the resources, the education, that 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 was like my my north star that was my guiding light and Wilma happened to be that person at the end of the tunnel um so from that conversation we haven't stopped literally we have not stopped um you know we walked away from those four hours like well tell me what you think about it and i'll tell you what i think about it and we literally came back and i was like listen i'm gonna give you i can do way more than what this job this role you're talking about. And she's like, I was thinking the same thing. And I was like, I feel like I want to come on on a more senior level. And she's like, me too. And it was like, boom, co-founder. And we haven't stopped since. So that's, <laughs> that is our relationship. Um, that's literally. My work life. Yeah. Yeah. That's really it. <laughs> we're riding. We're riding. I want to do the other part, which is riding out. 
<laughs> I love it. I love it. So, Wilma, tell us what your idea was for Dark Beauty and, you know, exactly what is it? Yeah, so it's been a journey. Um, I was still running my vintage business back in, in London, and, um, and that had been going for a lot of years, and it was fine. It was not something that I was ever going to be able to retire on, but it's a real passion of mine. I love fashion history, and uh, I love finding these beautiful old pieces of, of amazing designs. And, and I did a lot of uh, red carpet dressing. I did a lot of the up-and-coming young actresses in London, and that was a real, real fun thing. But I knew that I wanted to do something with more purpose. And I also wanted to build a real business that, you know, was um, a profitable business that could scale. And I didn't know what that was. And, but I sat with it for, uh, for some time and, and about four years ago. I started about literally the, the journey started about four years ago. And at first I thought maybe I'd do something into, in the human hair space. Uh, but I, I did a lot of research into it and I realized it's just such a, uh, it's an unregulated industry. That's what I was looking for. So I, I felt like I couldn't do it in an ethical way consistently. Mm-hmm. So around Christmas of that year I was with my daughter uh, who had come home from college and uh, my steps, what stepson, we have five kids between us. And we had two that Christmas and we were talking about business. We were talking about black women because we were talking about the human hair thing. And my, my stepson had studied uh, economics at university and my daughter was doing psychology and marketing. So we were having this, this discussion. And when we started talking more around the beauty space, my daughter and I were talking about our experience of retail and how in the UK, uh, the, it's a small country, right? So there's, uh, there's, a, there's like one chain of beauty supply stores, right? There are a few other, other ones, but there's one main chain uh, throughout London and it's called Pax. And it's called Pax because it's owned by two Pakistani men. And they, this has been around for way longer than I've been in that country, so 30 plus years, right? And, and usually they're positioned in black neighborhoods. So when you go into these stores, and this is what we were talking about, I'm followed around the store by their the stores are all almost exclusively staffed by men. So I'm followed around the store to make sure I don't steal anything. And they're also checking my ass out while they're making sure I don't steal anything. That is the best I've got. I have no other options to be able to go into a lovely retail space to buy my things and get advice from people who look like me. It doesn't exist. And so I thought, why is that in this day and age? And this is the conversation we're having. And so they were all putting their views forward, why they think it is. Maybe the market's not big enough. Maybe I was like, but even if it's not big enough, I know I spend a lot of money on my beauty products. Mm-hmm. And I said, but even if it's not, I, I, I still think that even the retail experience could be better. Right. Why do I have to go to a grimy old store to be followed around by men leching after me? Like I, that doesn't make any sense on any level. And so I, st- I, I spent that January doing some research into the data, which is when I discovered that in America, that there are 12 million black women and they spend, I think an aggregate of about 
10 billion dollars a year on their beauty products that's not including human hair um, that's just cosmetics and skincare and we actually over index white women by four percent and so i was like well wait a minute <laughs> wait 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 if we're spending more money on our beauty and we we have a really poor retail experience not to mention the the, the products you know and they think we're not a market what's that all about so that was the spark. I spent the next, I decided that February, after doing that research for a month, I found a lot more things that month, but I thought, this is really interesting. I want to delve more into this. So I, I decided to close my business. That, that I, I, by the end of February, I closed my business, sold off my stock. And I spent the next six months coming back and forth to America because I really thought, this is not me opening up a Sephora for black women. I didn't, that wasn't what was interesting to me. I really wanted to get under the hood of this and discover what the systemic issues that, why this still exists outside of, in addition to racism, right? So I, I came back and forth to America and I started talking to black women. I started talking to women of color. I started talking to influencers. I started talking to brands, to retailers, to investors. Um, trying to understand how they saw all of this, if they knew about it. Uh, looking at the problems within our own community. I was looking at the influencers who were uh, going on about, you know, colorism and hairism and, you know, influencers going, well, you know, my coily hair means I get less views. My darker skin means I get less views than the mixed race light skin girl who's got green eyes and got that sort of like, you know, wavy hair. And there's a, there was a lot of online fighting and I was looking at that as a dynamic. I, I spoke to brands who would tell me, well, we market to everybody. I was like, but then why don't I feel like that? I'm included in that everybody. Well, they don't know what I'm talking about when I say that. Or I talk to them and they go, well, look, we, we're all about diversity. And you look at their, I have this thing I call the five swipe challenge on Instagram, which is if I have to swipe up more than five times before I see a black person, I think there's a problem. And most of the brands, beauty and otherwise, consumer brands as well, have that problem and they think they're diverse. And so two black girls on your feed does not make you diverse. And so they thought that they were ticking boxes. But they, or when I went to speak to a lot of these makeup brands and some very well-known makeup brands, right? And this, and I started with, with, with cosmetics. They were like, well, whatever you decide to do, does consultancy come with that? Like, can you help us? Because when you look around the office, there were, there were no black women. So they, so they were, they were, they don't even know how to talk to us. They don't understand us. They're not even trying to understand us. This was four years ago. And wow. so I thought, oh, okay. So wait a minute, we have the problem with the retailers. We have some problems in our own community. And we have the, the most important person in, this, in the mix is the consumer, the consumer of color. And I thought everybody's leaving stuff on the table, right? The brands are losing out because they don't know how to market to us, nor do they seem interested in, in marketing to us or understanding us, you know, because also when they do think they market to us, they assume we're a monolith. 
Like we all are ghetto dwelling and hip hop loving people. And we're not, we're, we're diverse, you know? And we know that, like we know that they're not marketing to us properly, you know? And so I, I saw this and the biggest loser of all is, oh, and then the other thing, the other thing was the uh, influencers. I saw and I spoke to a lot of, uh, of uh, influencers of color and a lot of times they were being gifted products by these brands and not being invited on these special trips or, and their white counterparts were getting paid. And this is so common. And some very big, well-funded female empowered brands are practicing this or were practicing this. And so I looked at this whole dynamic and the biggest loser of all is the consumer of color is the woman of color because they've got that all they're, all they're doing is forking out money to buy products and there's no brand promise. That's a myth. They're not helping you live a better life. And I really felt in my soul that we needed to redefine how brands connect and mark, not even just market to us. They, they don't even create relationships with us. And I feel like that we're time, you know, I'm, I have a deep PR background and I understand marketing, but it's always about how do I sell my product rather than how do I really understand and help that consumer to thrive? Mm-hmm. How do I solve a problem for that consumer rather than just mar- selling something to that consumer? For sure. All right. And it's, it's interesting, Wilbur, because you must have felt very strongly about, uh, what, you know, the cause because you, I mean, you dropped your business, sold off everything, moved back to America to really dive into this. So yeah. you felt strongly about this. Like, what, you know, what do you think that pulling was? Because I think it's definitely needed. And for as much money that African-Americans and women of color, period, spend in beauty, you know, why aren't there more things for us? Why aren't there more people that look like us on these boards having these conversations, making sure that we're represented when they're taking our dollars, right? And and why aren't we looked at as important? Like, you know, so we're not important enough to get paid as our, uh, you know, kind of so that's not right at all. And so I, I, I'm very aware of all of this, you know, even to this day, it's not always easy for me to find products that I need, you know, even now, right? Finding the right shade for me as a dark skinned woman and finding the right things that I need are not always readily available and easy for me to go get. It's getting better, yes. it's gotten better, but it's still not 100% there yet. And so I, I just really want to understand and want you to help the audience understand like, why did you feel so strongly about this that you decided to create a whole business and pick up everything, drop the other business, sell everything off and really go full force with dark beauty. I, I got to know this. <laughs> um, well, what, one of the other things that I researched was I wanted to find someone else who saw, I, I saw the bigger picture, right? I saw a lot of people solving for, Oh, there's no makeup. The makeup, to our, doesn't match our skin tone, I'm going to come out with a makeup brand or I'm going to come out with another product. So I'm another black founder. So there's lots of, we now have a glut of products on the market, but we still don't even know which is the best for us. Right. And I think it's great that a lot of black founders are coming into that product space, it's, but it is a crowded market now. Then CBD is also a crowded market now. And I thought, okay, but that's not solving the, the core underlying problem. Right. And like you say, these brands, no, 
I see black women and women of color going on and on and on in posts, in the media, brands getting called out about how they, you know, um, they're racist in their marketing. And they do a very quick like, oh, I'm so sorry, we'll do better. And of course they don't. And then there's the whole cancel culture thing, which doesn't really exist because, you know, when H&M had the, the little black boy in that t-shirt um, and everyone was like, oh, H&M, you're done, you're done. No, H&M is not done. Everybody's still buying from H&M. And all of the brands that are out there. And, you know, there's a whole term called outrage marketing. Google it. There are, there are agencies that specialize in this. So you can't for one minute believe that these big brands are doing this and they made a mistake. They didn't make a mistake. They don't make mistakes like that. And so we're not really canceling them. We're just going on Twitter and, you know, but then a, a lot of brands were coming to me when they're like, oh, you know, if you have this, if you have some sense of, if you have consultancy, because they were afraid of that black Twitter was going to come and get them if they get it wrong. Right. And they don't want that. Some of them don't want that, but some of them actually use agencies to do this outrage marketing and they take the risk because the honest truth is, and this is the thing that, that spurred me on was that I don't think they cared enough. I think they just, either they wanted the publicity from doing something that was clearly racist or um, because actually if you, if you go and look at the data, a lot of them, their sales went sky high after those things happened. Okay. You know, you can look online, the Prada key rings with the, the monkeys with the red lips that they very, they did a whole campaign showing these. There's no way nobody knew that wasn't racist. I don't care if you're Italian and I don't care if you're French or American, that it was clearly racist, but they went on sale for enough time for enough people to buy them. And those things are valuable now. So they knew what they were doing. So I wanted to understand and solve those problems. I wanted to take a holistic approach to solving the very flawed relationship between brands and consumers of color, because it's not a broken relationship, which implies that it was fixed to begin with. It was never fixed. It's flawed. And that to me was interesting. That to me is where that can solve. If we could figure out an approach to make, to, to solve the systemic problem, whether it's a beauty brand, a fashion brand, a consumer brand, to me, that was where real change could happen. I didn't want to do something just a tactic. Like I didn't want to just do a product. And I really wanted to empower women of color to be all of who they are. And, and we, brands aren't going away and we can't, and there, there's this, this symbiotic relationship. They're always going to be in our lives. We're always going to need products. We're always going to buy products. We, and black women are the most brand loyal women in America. Right? So that's data that's very easily found. And if brands were invested in supporting women of color, they would know that too. And they don't, they don't, they either don't know it or don't care. And they, they do things that, and the, the whole performative thing, they've been doing that for a long time, right? They've been doing that well before recent protests and Black Lives Matter. So I wanted to solve the whole problem. And so that was what was really tricky. Like, how do we do that? So 
after I did all of this research, I went out to have a little cottage in the countryside in England. And I went out there, turned off all my devices, and my Wi-Fi anyway, and took my dogs out. And I went out there for three weeks. And I had my dining room looked like Carrie Matheson's room in Homeland with every piece of paper up on the wall. I had all of these things. I had whiteboards. And I was like a crazy lady by myself for three weeks. And I had to figure out what does this look like and how do we grow this? How do we make something? How do, how do I figure out what, how do we solve this? And I then started to, there's a deeper story, which is a little bit woo woo for this. And that's another longer story, but I'm going to save that one for later. But the fact is, is that I was able to distill a lot of this data. And it came to me that this, what this is supposed to look like. And the thing that came out of it was that everyone talks about community online, online communities like Facebook groups are an online community. Instagram is an online community. Uh, people start online communities. They're not really communities, they're forums, right? They're online forums, right? I, I like the old definition, the classic definition of community, which is about shared common goals and being in a, an inclusive group that helps you to thrive as an individual. That if you're struggling, the group has your back and they help you. That's not necessarily a Facebook group. It certainly isn't Instagram. And I like that notion. I think we need that. And there's also data to support the fact that black women value community much more than white women do. And so how could I build community, real true community, and also fix this very flawed relationship between brands and women of color? That was my starting point. And so I, I basically came up with the beginnings of an app. I built a prototype during those three weeks. And um, I like to teach myself things. I taught myself coding about 20 years ago, basic coding and, uh, and prototyping. So I, I built this, this prototype of an app. I showed it to my husband. He's like, oh my gosh, like, this is amazing. You did this? I'm like, uh, yeah, I did this. <laughs> and he, he said, I think you should go talk to some investors. So I hopped on a plane to New York and I started talking to a few investors and I actually had uh, one of them bit and said, I want to invest. I didn't feel like it was the right partnership and, and they wanted too much equity for too little money. And I knew that what I had built could be really valuable and, but I knew right then that it was time for me to move to New York and start this thing. So uh, one of the other people that uh, I had gone to for investment said, I think it's a really great concept, but what's your roadmap? I built the, the answer, but nobody's waiting for the answer right now. Or there's a, you have to build the, the path to that. So that's what I hadn't done. So I said, okay, I'm going to move to New York because I need to be in the mix. I need to be connecting with other entrepreneurs, other founders, other investors, other women of color. The market is bigger in America. It needs to start here. And so um, I basically, I told my husband at the end of September, I said, I'm moving to New York. He said, uh, uh, can, we, can we talk about this? And I said, sure, but I'm leaving in a month. <laughs> and, and so I basically gave notice to all my friends. And I said, um, 
this is this is time for me to do this now. And so we we have this this uh, bi-coastal life now. Um, I'm based here in New York. Uh, three years ago, I moved back, and my husband comes in uh, periodically. We were in lockdown together, but now he's back in London um, at our home there. And um, I'm here with my dog. And so that was how I started the move back here. And I realized that I couldn't just come out with this app that we needed to kind of just put one foot in front of the other. So during the first two years before we actually even launched, I built um, an advisory board. So uh, AC Eggleston Bracey, who's, I'm sure you know who she is, the, um, the COO and EVP of beauty for Unilever um, in North America. She's on my advisory board. Uh, Howard Meetner, who is um, the ex-CEO of Sephora. Uh, and I have a woman, Jennifer Justice, who uh, used to be Jay-Z's lawyer for 14 years. And she is, uh, supports female founders and she, she works with us. Uh, Anjali Kumar is another person. So I've got this amazing founder board and I found my co-founder and I have my CTOs in place. My, my, they're building this community-based platform for us. And we decided, you know, Danielle and I last year, we said, look, let's not rush to this. Let's build this step by step, which was just figuring out our voice, our aesthetics. We started with an Instagram page and then a simple WordPress blog. And then we were just onboarding different writers of color because we wanted this to be not just for black women, but for all women of color, because we all have our certain experiences of the space and that we weren't just about beauty products, that we're about the beauty of who we are as women inside and out and how do we help support and celebrate our community. And so we were starting this journey, the slow journey to get to this other place of this platform and this community when COVID hit. And then um, we had a little pivoting. Wow, wow. Thanks for sharing, Wilma. And thank you for even starting this. And wow, what a dynamic advisory board did you have? <laughs> now, how did you even go about, you know, getting that together, getting the advisory board together? <laughs> so I guess being an XPR girl, you kind of have to hustle, right? You got you to gotta network, you got to just figure stuff out. I'm, I'm the kind of person that's very solution orientated. And so I tend not to when, when crappy things happen, I take a deep breath before I, I lose my stuff. And I, um, I go, wait a minute, opportunity here. I think of this is not just a problem. There's an opportunity to learn. And also there's a way that I can figure stuff out. And so I decided that when I was putting together in my advisory board, uh, I part in that three week process that I was in, uh, I also was, finding the people that I wanted to work with. So again, I would be printing out LinkedIn pages uh, and researching folks. So I would say, okay, do I have anyone in common? So I knew with AC, uh, we did have someone in common on LinkedIn. And I reached out to her and I said, could you facilitate an introduction, which she did. And then I reached out to AC and said, could I meet with you? First time I met with AC, she, she was like, well, it sounds like, and this is before I had come up with the app and I just had this nebulous idea. And she was like, it sounds like you're onto something, but come back to me when, when you've got something a little bit more concrete. And then I came up with something more concrete and I said, can I meet with you again? And she's a really busy woman, right? So she very kindly made time for me. And I said, okay, this is what I've got. She's like, ah, that's, 
that's the ticket. She said, yeah, I'll join your advisory board. So it's just me out there hustling and finding contacts. And I have no shame. I, I, if someone says no, that just means I move on to the next. I don't, I don't, I don't attach meaning to it. And so it's because I do that. I think that, that I'm able to sort of kind of cultivate uh, relationships with people. Good. That's awesome. I was just curious about that, but thanks for sharing it. I think it could really be insightful for the listeners. So Danielle, tell us um, your part in everything and your take on dark beauty and the whole mission. Sure. Um, I think like Wilma mentioned, you know, dark beauty has come um, quite a distance and I think with us coming together, um, me coming on board as a co-founder, um, I was very transparent on what I saw that a community would need or if I was just someone looking to join. Um, and so we married those visions or that mission together in what you see today, um, which is a community that is welcoming, inclusive of all women of color, and those that identify as women. And that's, that's super important to us. So with us coming, so my role within Dark Beauty is that, you know, I come from a marketing background, as I mentioned before. Um, so my mind, my speak is very like uh, linear. It's very like you go from one to two to three to four. And um, Wilma kind of balances me out and kind of shakes me on the shoulder like, we got to jump off the deep end. Like, we don't have time for that um, as entrepreneurs. <laughs> And she's been doing it a lot longer than I have. So, you know, kudos and I bow to her often and I look to her um, entrepreneurial guidance. Um, so my, my strategies are typically marketing based, um, keeping my ear to what's happening out there um, with regards to marketing, um, traditional, social, digital, um, what, what the competitive landscape actually looks like, and then the creative side of things. What do we visually look like? And like Wilma mentioned, you know, late last year when we launched, it was very much putting one foot in front of the other because no matter how small we are, we always want to be um, buttoned up. Um, and, and I think that applies to any business, you know, for anyone who's listening, it's important for you to have a clear vision, no matter if you don't have the millions of dollars, you have to be clear on what you're trying to do, who your audience is, how are you going to speak to your audience, what they're going to see and make sure that line and that, that, that theme of thought follows through everything that is customer facing, like every single, every single word. Um, again, every single email, newsletter, um, social media post, make sure that line, that train of thought goes throughout each of everything. So that's very much my focus when it comes to dark beauty. Awesome. Thanks, Danielle. And so Wilma, I want to get into, because we, we've talked about so much, but I really want to get into the whole uh, dark beauty healing, you know, and, and the mental health initiative that you have going on. So kind of tell us about that. Sure. So uh, when lockdown happened, the team and I were, you know, I said to the team that this is going to be like the rapids. We, we don't know what's going to happen from day to day. And we're going to have to do micro pivoting. We're going to figure things out that still speak to who we are and what we're about and our ethos, but that life is going to change dramatically over. And I, I just had a sense that life was going to be really 
like riding the waves. So I said, let's buckle up and let's make sure we're really connected as a team and we're holding space for each other because it's going to be stressful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we were doing that and it was getting stressful. And by April, uh, I woke up actually one morning and I don't suffer from anxiety, uh, but uh, you know, it has been coming in and I woke up one morning feeling very anxious. And normally when I do feel anxious, it's usually, I feel like it's the universe trying to tell me something. So I, now I practice listening, right? I listen to what is, what I feel I'm connecting with instead of actually panicking more. So I actually got into the shower that morning and I was like, okay, what is it? Hit me with it universe. And I realized when I just sat with it for a little bit that I felt like the thing I was feeling was the, the pain in our community around COVID and that it was in going to, and this is before anyone was talking about it in the news that, that COVID was going to impact black and brown communities adversely. And I felt like, Oh, I have, I do have a little bit of a savior complex. Like I want to save everybody. (laughs) And that's probably why I started this business. So I was like, Oh my God, what are we going to do? Because we we're all about community. We have to do something. And Mental health is really important to me. I had my own struggles with mental health about 10 years ago. I suffered from severe depression. It was situational. But as a result, I was hospitalized. And I was hospitalized for six weeks, which was a real shocker because I'm usually pretty even keeled and pretty, you know, got my stuff together. But I didn't. I was that strong person that, you know, your friends should check in on every now and then. And, but it was when I got, when I, when I was hospitalized, I, I made a commitment to myself that not only would I not carry shame around it, but I would embrace this, this journey and learn as much as I could about it and witness as much as I could. And I learned so much about mental health. And so it, it changed my life. And I realized that, that COVID was going to impact black and brown communities from a mental health perspective because of the, the underlying health issues, because of the job losses. And because of the, the general generational trauma that we, we carry, right, as well. So I said, we should do something about this. And um, I spoke to Danielle about it. And she's like, okay, what do you think we should do? I was like, I, let's give away free therapy. She's like, how do we do that? I said, I... Off the deep end that I was just talking about. What? <laughs> She's like, what? I was like, she's like, how do we give away free therapy? I said, I have no idea, but let's figure it out. <laughs> so shortly that conversation, I mean, we're like, all right, let's go. We got on, uh, we got on the, a few, I said, let's start, let's just put one foot in front of the other and start talking to therapists. Let's figure out what the landscape looks like. So we got on a call and very quickly learned that uh, therapists usually give away at least 20 hours a year pro, pro bono. And I said, well, would you give me 10 of those hours? And they said, this woman said, yes. I said, well, I'm sure you're connected to other therapists. Do you think you could connect me with those other therapists? She said, sure. So we got on in, we got on in a few days, we realized that they were willing to give us 10 hours. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, we have an initiative here. So I got my developers. I said, would you guys uh, build a directory? Because we're not HIPAA compliant. Um, and I don't know how it works here in America. We very quickly learned. I got in touch with a lot of people. And a lot of times I just cold call people because usually people are actually willing to talk to you. Um, and people don't call people anymore. <laughs> so I get on the phone, I call people. And um, 
they built a, a directory for us and they actually said, we're going we're gonna to give this to you. We're not going to charge you for this because what you're doing is, is great. And we got, we just, for two weeks, we called therapists day in, day out, all, seven, eight hours a day. And we accumulated hours. And by the time we launched on May the 15th, we, uh, we had a few hundred hours of therapy. We got some celebrity support from people like Lala Anthony and India Moore, Hannah Bronfman shouted us out on Instagram. Within a month, we had a thousand hours of therapy that had been donated by clinicians of color. And then all of a sudden, people were talking about mental health for black folks, right. like that that was gonna be a problem. And around that time, uh, and I, you should tell this part of the story, Danielle, um, that's when uh, Danielle was sharing it out with her friends, and then you can say what happened. The part, you know, listen, it's a part of the hustle as an entrepreneur, I will say, is stalking your friends and family ad nauseum about what you are doing, especially when it's purpose-led or, you know, cause-driven. Um, and so, undifferent than anything else that we were doing during that time in terms of building community and, you know, finding uh, synergies within various communities, um, consistently reaching out to friends. And we had a flyer that was going out essentially saying, this is what we're looking to do. We're looking to um, get 10,000 hours of donated therapy that we can give away. Um, and, you know, if you're a therapist, please contact us. If you are someone in need, please go to our directory, no strings attached, find a therapist in your state and, you know, get to healing. Um, and a friend lovingly posted actually sometime after kind of, I guess, the, the bubble of excitement within our team of it happening. So it was some, a little bit later in it, and I did not know this, but she was friends with the actress Cynthia Erivo. And so out of nowhere, you know, normal work day, we're just plugging away, everyone's at home. And she sends, my friend sends me a DM and just like, hey, my friend Sin wants to talk to you. And I'm like, I'm not sure who Sin is, but um, yeah, no problem. You know, she's like, she wants to talk to you about dark beauty. She's interested. I'm like, okay, like, great. Um, and long story short, you know, we started DMing and I mean, within the first DM, I realized who I was talking to and I was quite blown away at how direct and caring and, and generous with her time that she was even in that moment. I kind of scrambled and was like, oh, do you have time to, you know, I, I messaged her. I was like, um, I just want to be clear, you know, very appreciative of your time and what you're trying to do with us. Cause immediately she's like, I want to get involved. Um, but I said to her, uh, I just want to be clear, besides trying to jump on the Zoom call with you, the founder of Dark Beauty is Wilma. And I know, I, I believe, you know, I wanted to walk on eggshells. So it's like, I believe you guys already know each other. And the funny part is that Wilma used to dress her as uh, when, when uh, Cynthia Rubo was, you know, on her way up, Wilma used to dress her for red carpet. So it was a nice kind of like cyclical moment um and she was like of course i know wilma like yes 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 so we jumped on a zoom call and i think i queued up the zoom call and then immediately cindy and wilma are like weeping heavily and i'm just like frozen as like the third person on the call and they're just like you know sharing how much each other meant 
for one another and to have this moment kind of come back together. Um, it was beautiful to be kind of on the outskirts of it. Um, but of course I fell in line and started crying too when, you know, everything came to it and Cynthia was like, I'm on board, anything you need. She donated it without a hesitation. She donated $25,000, um, to Dark Beauty Healing, which, you know, again, a lot of the donations that we are, the charitable side of it is we're looking for donations and have been receiving donations to help offset the cost of these therapists because, um, I think Wilma was getting to it there are only so many therapists of color out there in this world, um, in the United States specifically. Only 4%. Right. Sorry to interrupt, yeah. Please, please do interrupt me at any point. Um, and so 4% of all therapists, but those therapists, because they're people of color, identify and can understand the issues within our community. So they too often give and give more than, you know? Um, so what it was we wanted to do in which this is where the money component comes in is, you know, um, fundraise enough money. Our goal is $500,000, um, so that we can then not only give back to these therapists, pay them for their time, but also continue these services. So, um, the idea is that the, each therapist donates a minimum of 10 hours and, the and some have donated more hours and you can simply go on to we wanted to make this as simple as possible for the person coming onto the platform and because when you are going through depression when you are in the depths of anxiety the last thing that you have the capacity to do is fill out a form and hope to god somebody comes back to you to help you right mm -hmm. we just wanted to make it really simple Email, find the clinician in your state, email them, they'll get back in touch with you, and then the relationship is yours. If we're not collecting data, we just want to give you free therapy. Simple. Nothing else. And so that's where the platform sits right now. And we just don't want, we already are having some of the clinicians running out of hours. They have to live too. So that's why we're fundraising and we are uh, hoping that people will a donate to our GoFundMe campaign, uh, and or tell other therapists. Mm -hmm. And we are accepting all therapists. We want we and each therapist you can see on our directory what their core competencies are. And so, if if you might need someone, not everybody needs a black therapist, right? A culturally competent one is is a good thing but we don't have the luxury of being able to access all of them or, or because we don't have enough numbers. So we've opened up the platform to all therapists. We even have, uh, we'll announce it soon, a therapy practice here out of New York where the two founders, they have, I think about 20 different therapists and they are subsidizing their therapists to give us hours. So they're actually paying their therapists and donating hours to our cause, which will end up adding like another 200 hours to what we're doing. And so again, we just want to keep it simple, but we will eventually, when we raise this money, we're starting a program where uh, the therapists who've already come onto the platform, who've already donated hours, we then will roll them into a system where they will be able to continue the work. We don't want anyone slipping through the net after they've had their first five to six hours or five to 10 hours of therapy. Um, so we want to make sure that those therapists continue those relationships. And that's, that's where we are at the moment. 
and we've now raised over 2,000 hours of donated therapy. And uh, we're in 27 states uh, around America, and we have over 100 clinicians who are, uh, are taking part in our initiative. And I believe that we're now one of the leading free resources or leading resources for free therapy for women of color in America. Um, so we're, we're trying to get the word out still. We've got a really exciting event we're planning with Cynthia uh, for uh, September 22nd. And I don't know when this is coming out, but um, we are doing a virtual slumber party. So you're first to know, first because we haven't really announced it yet. And we have some other amazing guests that are gonna be dropping in for this uh, virtual slumber party, which will be really exciting, but it'll be a fundraiser. Awesome. I think it's phenomenal. I think especially at this time that we're in right now, because we know a few things. We know that um, women of color, people of color are really suffering more from um, COVID-19 than anyone else. And so, and we're losing people more. And so being that we're losing more people, it's affecting us. And then we also have the police brutality that is still an issue with the, you know, for African-Americans. And there's so many things going on that we have to deal with. So we're not only dealing with COVID, you know, we're losing more people. More of us are dying if we contract it. And then we already, you know, just have so many things, underlying issues that we deal with anyway. And, and so a lot, a lot of African-American people, um, it's like a, a weird topic when it comes to mental health or, you know, getting counseling or therapy or whatever. And a lot of people don't want to talk about it or, you know, want to don't want people to think that they're crazy or whatever it may be. But I'm glad that you guys have started this initiative because it is something that's needed. And we need to know as people of color that it's okay to get help. And women too, because you know, Alpha was having a conversation with someone the other day about this whole strong black woman thing. Yeah, but yeah. you could strong black woman yourself to the bone, right? To where you're you're kill, killing yourself trying to do everything. So you have to learn how to get the help that you need, and that would be therapy or whatever it may be. Because we were just talking about getting the help that you need in your business. A lot of times, you know, we have black entrepreneurs that they're never going to scale because they want to do everything themselves. And you can only get so far, you know, doing everything yourself. And you can only get so far if you have mental health issues and you're not getting the help. So I really, you know, commend you for doing this. I think this is a great um, initiative. And I think that, you know, I want you to definitely put the, I'm going to put the information in the show notes. I want you to definitely leave, you know, all the information on how people can get involved and get the help. But I think it's really great. And I, I'm hoping that, you know, we can get you connected with more uh, therapists that can, you know, really add those hours up because it is something that's needed. And especially for us, because we're being, we're being affected more. Like, you know, they're, you know, we're, we're dealing with COVID and we're dealing with the police and then we're dealing with just racism, period. And just everything that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, I totally agree. And I would just double down on that beyond dealing with racism, um, you know, institutionalized racism. Um, we're dealing with a pandemic that knows no color, you know, but we know on our side what that means um, from a health standpoint, right? 
but there's also the financial aspect and I don't think a lot of people think about that, right? There's this economic fallout in which, you know, our communities are being ravaged where people are losing jobs because whole businesses are going under or they have to make drastic cuts. So not only, okay, so say you're not that person who, <clears throat> excuse me, who has lost someone in their life or, you know, some degree of separation has lost someone, but you've lost your job. And you may be the, you know, woman or not, you may be the um, breadwinner in your family. And what does that look like for your family, you know, for your, for your home, for your house, for your groceries? You know, we're hearing day in and day out where students, you know, people with children where students don't have Wi-Fi because the bills cannot be paid. So how do you expect them to, you know, learn? Um, it all, you know, woman and I talk about this often. It's about generational trauma that continuously hits us. So even if it's not my mom or my grandmother, me being Danielle, um, say I am that family who is, you know, stricken with financial loss, it's my children and what they're learning and what they're taking on from this moment that they could potentially put on towards their children or cousins or what have you. Um, the fallout is going to be great, and that's a big part of Wilma's that, that call, that, that main call we had that morning where Wilma was just like, listen, it's not going to be cute. Like, this is going to be generationally impactful. And then the last bit that I just wanted to chime in about is the narrative about the strong Black woman. Like, I think people need to be clear where that kind of came from. Like, think about it, it came from slavery. And that's where there were zero options. You had to be a strong black woman because your husband is being taken away from you. Your children are being taken away from you. You're taking on other people's children because their families have been you know, splintered and separated. I think black women really need to realize that we need to break that, uh, ideology that we hold on to that we have to be like it is it is equally as as profound and strong to be vulnerable you have to be able to ask for help otherwise again it goes back to the generational trauma you know if you can't and you don't ask for help if you can't and you don't speak to someone about it there's absolute that's like crawling out of you know a dark hole and no one's giving you any form of light to tell you which to work which direction is up, down, left, or right. You need to break out of that mentality, I can do bad all by myself. You know, like, let's work together. That's where community comes together. That's where dark beauty comes into place. You know, if you need help, well, listen, Wilma and I will, if we can't give you the answer, we will find someone who can give you the answer, i.e. a therapist who is licensed, or someone else, even if it has nothing to do with therapy. We are here, send us a message, send us an email. We are not untouchable. So reach out to us. We're happy to help in any way that we can. Can I share something with you? It just brought up a real, um, what Danielle was saying, just brought up this, uh, I, I, I saw a quote today, which was really moving and felt that, you know, being able to get therapy is so important. But this quote really moved me. It says, uh, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable by someone by the name of David W. Augsburger. And being heard 
is close to being loved. And so often as black women, we are muted. We're having to fight to, to be heard. We're having fight to be seen, to be appreciated, to be supported, to be celebrated, to be loved. We're still fighting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like seriously, WTF, <laughs> like what is going on? And so this, we, we really, and this is what I'm here for. This is what dark beauty is here for is to help to, to figure out how can we be part of that holistic solution, whether it's through making sure that black women can access therapy quickly, easily, and for free, because this country has not done well on healthcare. And this is me coming from having lived in the UK where healthcare is free. So it's, 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 um, if we can do that and if we can keep raising money so that we can keep giving away free therapy, like, like, yes, that's, that's what we're here to do. And if it means that we're going to, with dark beauty, we're going to be creating really unique collaborations with brands where that we answer the question, how does this benefit an individual member of our community? In everything that we do with brands, that's our question that has to be answered first and foremost. Before we talk about, are we earning a fee? Or is this, how is this generating revenue? That doesn't matter, because the only thing, the thing that we are here to do is to support, celebrate, and, and truly empower the individuals within our community not just the community as a whole, but the individuals. And so that's hard. That's not an easy thing to do. And we're still growing. We're still small. Um, but we're, um, we're scrappy. We're, we, uh, we're mighty. We're a small team. We're ambitious. And we're uh, tenacious, tenacious. So that's what we're, we're aiming to do. So, well, I know um, I, I just only can imagine the, um, you know, impact that you're already having and that you're going to continue to have with Dark Beauty. And I just want to say kudos to you, Wilma. Uh, this is a phenomenal thing that you're doing. I know firsthand that it's needed. And um, I know it's going to bless so many people. So can you share with us how everyone can reach and connect with Dark Beauty and get involved? One, oh, sorry. Did you want to, Danielle, do you want to um, say or shall I? Um, from a website standpoint, you can find us at www.thisdark, and it's drkbeauty.com. Um, Instagram, same, same handle. This is Dark Beauty. Um, Facebook, we have Facebook as well. Same handle, but it's, it, or a similar handle. Um, it's Dark Beauty NYC. Um, you can reach No, 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 we changed that. We changed it. Sorry, as of today, hot off the press. We are Dark Beauty. And it's, again, it's... DRK. Thank you for that reminder. Um, So, again, for clarity, Facebook, we are Dark Beauty. Um, And we're on Twitter as well, um, at This Is Dark Beauty. So, we are reachable on any of those social mediums. Um, Our website is chocked full of amazing, amazing... Um, articles, um, not just health focused, but also you get to hear the voices of women around the world and their experiences. And those are often a beautiful read 
Um, but yes, that is how you get in touch with us. We also have a GoFundMe page uh, for our campaign if people would like to donate and we'll share those with you. Um, and if, that would be great if, if you wouldn't mind sharing the, that uh, link to our GoFundMe page. And, um, and then if anybody in your audience knows of a therapist that uh, would like to donate hours, they can register on our site. And if anybody knows of someone that needs therapy, uh, that person can go onto our site and look in our directory and uh, find a therapist in their state. And if for some reason you don't understand something on the site or it doesn't seem as straightforward, please message us. We are here, whether it's via DMs on our Instagram or on our website, you can leave a comment. We're constantly monitoring all of that and we'll come back and we'll answer your question as best as we can. Awesome. I'll make sure everything is in the show notes. Thank you so much, ladies. So thank Wilma Basta and Danielle Jackson, thank you so much of Dark Beauty. Um, definitely all the information will be in the show notes. And I hope that everyone will, you know, definitely support or get the help that you need for sure. Um, that's all we have for you today. And as always, stay great and we're out. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast today. Make sure you subscribe. Check us out on Apple Podcasts and leave a review. I want to hear from you. Email me at info at businessbeautynetwork.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at I am Brandy Taylor and Facebook at I am Brandy Taylor. I want to connect with you, so let's stay connected. And remember that all things are possible if you only believe. Stay great. <laughs>